0: Kimley Wright from the logo! Oh. Got it! Oh, but Kimley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. Nope, American Raptors. I'm an idiot. Um, I'm Henry Chisholm. Wow, that was a throwback. It's been a while. But uh, today, talking about the basketball game, uh, the one against UCLA that CU lost. Uh, maybe, maybe some quick notes on the women's team too, um, but uh, that's kind of the plan. Uh, also, this is just a side note, but the Goaties are this week. That's like DMVR's annual award show um where we give out a bunch of awards some of them kind of dumb obviously like there's some buffs nominees in there too that's saturday night by the way if any of you want to come down to the bar and and hang out it it's going to be a lot of fun i think it's at 8 maybe we maybe the stuff starts at 8 but we start it, it officially like the party starts at 7 something like that um but because of that i've just been running through some some notes on different things that uh that I'm talking about actually in like two hours, we go in there, and for all the different awards, like there's like a 30 minute little conversation between like four or five of us about the different options and those sorts of things. Um, two things one, not buffs related, so we'll knock it out quick, but we have like the Hall of Fame where there's different players nominated based on their seasons. So, like John Elway's 1997 is on there, Nicole Jokic's 2021 last season, where he was just, I mean, obviously the MVP. But also, Champ Bailey's 2006, which I would have been like nine for that season, but that's when Champ Bailey was just unbelievable. I was just running through some of this stuff. Targeted 35 times all season, gave up four catches, picked off 10 passes. It's just ridiculous. And I was going through and just watching some of that. He had interceptions against Randy Moss the year before he had the 23 touchdown season. Heinz uh, Ward, who at that point was the reigning Super Bowl MVP, um, Anquan Bolden twice, uh, Chad Johnson, right before he turned into Chad Ochocinco, he led the NFL in receiving yards that year, and there was another one that was targeted for Frank Gore when he had his let's almost 1,700-yard rushing season. Um, that's like five interceptions. Is that five? Five or six interceptions against Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers, all in their prime. Just absurd like those are the guys targeted on those passes so I've just been nerding out about some of that stuff and some of these other old things but also uh I'm talking about the game of the year in Denver sports today and I nominated the Oregon State game for the best CU game from 2021 um maybe I should have chosen one of the basketball games I was really tempted um but I mean, that Oregon State game was just so huge. Just running back through and rewatching it and remembering what was going on at that point in the season. You know, you're coming off a loss to Oregon where you lost, what, was it 52-29? And that 23-point deficit made it the third-closest game all season. Win or loss. Like, you obviously have the Texas A&M game that was 10-7, but then the other one... I think they they lost to Arizona State by 22 points. And so you're coming off this Oregon game where you're like, huh, that was a pretty good performance. Like, the offense looks solid. The new offensive line coach whipped the uh, offensive lineman into shape. Like, you got pocket. Brendan Lewis is easily his best game at CU. And now you're going into this Oregon State game with just, like, a little bit of weird momentum. And at that point, Oregon State's still competing for... The, the Pac-12 North title. I think they were were they a game behind Oregon, but they had a home game at the end of the year against Oregon, um, to potentially take that game back and get the tiebreaker. So so just in very different places with the Buffs sitting there at two and six, wins over Northern Colorado and over Arizona, for the that eighteenth consecutive loss for Arizona, and it just uh, the the way it plays out, you know now that we have some of that hindsight. Um, to, to see, you know, Isaiah Lewis, who has just been, like, ignored by the previous coaching staff. They want their big, strong, fast guys. He goes out there and gets the interception, his second of his career, and kind of sets the tone early. Daniel Arias has the 43-yard touchdown bomb, and uh, but he, he had never had 43 receiving yards in a season, and we all know that whole story. I mean, best known for the drop against Nebraska. And he makes that play. So you have these veterans who've been kind of underrated, or not underrated, maybe properly rated, but but they make big plays in this game. And then you have all the young guys. You know, Brendan Lewis goes for three touchdowns. You know, he he hits uh, Brendan Rice. He hits Montana Lamonius Craig with two and a half minutes left to uh to what you think is take the lead and win. You wind up giving the ball back, and they miss the field goal, and CU gets the ball back with 30 seconds, three runs up the middle, three timeouts. They basically gain nothing and kick it back. Big return for Oregon State. They get it out to the 50 with five seconds left. They call the the, the prevent defense, just hit that quick out, one second left on the clock, and the kicker makes a 60-yarder to send it to overtime. It's just ridiculous, And, and to see, like, Brendan Lewis have this sort of game. You forget that he's like nineteen until he goes and I mean you have the big party, the field rush. I mean, just such a such a fun time and uh I mean, you just love to see it. I mean you have the, the kicker, the iceman, Cole Becker nail one to to win it in double overtime. That was such a fun night. And you forget just how much talent not I mean how how young they are really. Just how young they are. Um, to when you remember it's like, Oh yeah, these guys against like a good team in Oregon State, one of those surprise teams of the Pac twelve last year, go and get this one done. Just gives you some hope. So I figured I'd pass along a little bit of hope today. Not sure where people stand with like the buffs vibes. I mean expectations still probably pretty low based on what we've seen from this off season. But, you know, they'll build and build and There'll be some fun stuff about some surprise player having a great spring ball. The quarterback competition will get exciting. And then hopefully by by the season, we're all a little bit more excited than we might be right now. So, I don't know. Just running through that was uh, kind of fun. So, figured why not kick it off with a little bit of that before we talk about some sad things. You know, before we get into this men's game against UCLA, let's just knock off this conversation about the cu women's team um you know season isn't over for them season isn't over um we uh you know what do we say this whole season you know you get to 13 and 0 last undefeated team men or women and it's absolutely exciting you know you you see the the potential in front of them um, but you remember that a couple years ago they they started 11 and 0, lost that last non-conference game. They're 11 and 1 non-conference, go 3 and 14 in the conference play, and all of a sudden you're 14 and 15. I think was the final record. Just missed out on the NCAA tournament, and because of that, there's a little apprehension when you play a, a pretty easy non-conference schedule, even if you do go 13 and 0 and win all but one of those games by double digits. Then obviously you get to that Stanford game, um, which Colorado had a real chance to win. They had a real chance to knock off the number two team in the country. Couldn't get it done. From there, you know, they, they lose an overtime to Oregon State, lose an overtime to Arizona State, both those games on the road. And then they played top ten Arizona yesterday, also on the road, and, and lose that one as well. And so after this thirteen game winning streak to start the season, they're now sitting there at thirteen and four they're what two and four yeah two and four in conference play um road game against utah coming up a game that you know on paper they should probably win but road basketball's tough and they're on a bit of a slide um it's disappointing it's really disappointing and the season isn't over again like the pac-12's tough they, they did a lot of good work in the non-conference schedule so you know they, they didn't need to play perfect ball or maximize their opportunities to get a chance in the NCAA tournament like they're still projected to get in but you know this is how how far does the slide go and and how do you bounce back from it when you do bounce back from it you know if you if you win this game against utah you get utah at home uh sunday so you got this friday on the road sunday at home thing going on here um, before you get a couple more home games against Washington State and Washington. Not not the cream of the crop in the Pac-12. Um, and if you can win those four and sit there at 6-4 and in conference play, on top of the 11-0 the and 0 non-conference schedule, be excited. You know, you've got more tough games on the way. Another one was Stanford. Um, but you have something going for you. And the question now is... Like, can they stop the bleeding? Because this road swing, it was it was rough. It was really rough. And you've got one more game here, and it'd be nice to come back with just a little bit of momentum. And I don't even know what you'd call a win over Utah on the road momentum. It's just not having the negative momentum that's going on now. Um, in this stretch, I mean, the, the scoring has just disappeared at times. I think they were, they were up for most of the first half against Arizona and then uh, tied at halftime. And wind up giving a 17-0 run where nobody could get a bucket. Wind up losing 75-56. And, you know, after after losing three close games, that one stings. Um, because it really does solidify. You can look at the others and say, uh, you know, great shot from Oregon State as, as time runs down. The three-pointer put the Buffs in a tough place. And, you know, a, a great shot from Oregon State to send it to overtime in the first place. So it it's rough. Arizona state i mean you know it it's just a question of when they can turn it around and i mean it also this is this does bring up memories of that 2019-2020 season where they did have that hot start and then just couldn't quite keep things going in conference play. The margins are slim against good teams and just being on the wrong end of 3 in a row Four in a row, no three in a row. That hurts, and the, to follow it up with that big loss to Arizona, they're kind of reeling right now. Can they? Can they get this going with four four games that I think that they should should win? Um, you know, even Cal on the road after that, you you like your chances there. Um, we'll see, we'll see, but but kind of. Kind of dark times, kind of dark times, and it's disappointing because it was really exciting there for a minute. And again, just a couple of things go your way, and all of a sudden you're sitting there 14 14-0 with a win over Stanford. And now here we are. Real quick, uh, I'm headed to the Avs game tonight, and that means I will be drinking some Breckenridge beers. Uh, very excited. What, they've won 15 in a row at home? So you can't even, like, bet on it which is the frustrating part. Like, like right now we're talking about DraftKings Sportsbook and Breckenridge beers, and I would really love to enjoy both of those tonight. But with DraftKings, I think the Avs are like minus 300 to beat the Blackhawks tonight. So you bet $30, win $10. It's like, ah, eh, the Avs are going to win, but I'm not putting that... Oh, well, I guess I, I have some DraftKings Sportsbook stories to tell tomorrow. Um, Or sorry, not tomorrow, but after this. Breckenridge beers, though, they will be a big part of the night. Um, it should be a lot of fun because there's going to be a lot of goals scored, and uh, I'm fired up. Breckenridge makes all that possible. They partner with the Avs, they partner with the Nuggets, they partner with CU. They've got beer made with uh, the the Broncos. Huge part of the sports scene here, and that's why we love Breckenridge Brewery. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, like I said, would like to make some money tonight. Luckily, I made plenty of money on these football games yesterday. Um, it actually started a little bit rough. And I guess rough isn't really fair. But I made I made a bet. And it was for the Rams to beat the Buccaneers. And we'll just say it was two units. It was two units. And it was plus 120, which means I would win 2.4 units. So turn my two into two. 4.4. Um, I wound up cashing out for 1.9 units. Wow. The unit, I kind of just want to tell you how much money I bet, but I've been told not to do that. Um, I cashed that out when they were pretty much guaranteed to win. Instead, I uh, I flipped that money, basically almost doubled my money, but then put it on the Buccaneers, just the, the part that I'd won. So I put two units on the Buccaneers at plus... 1300. So that means that my two units could turn into 28 units, which is a massive, massive, massive win. You know, if you're betting $100 units, then that's thousands of dollars. I'm not, the, the, the unit math is kind of getting to me, um, but plus 1300, 13 to one odds. If you guys watch a game, you know how close the Buccaneers came to winning that game. And it would have been really, really, really cool if they did. Um, luckily, I still made money because I had the Rams parlayed in the same game parlay, plus three and a half. I uh, had the Rams to have three or more sacks, over 44 and a half rushing yards for Cam Akers, over 104 and a half Cooper Cup receiving yards. That's plus plus a 1,000. So a $10 bet pays 110 And I had a unit on that. Um, so came out ahead almost really hit the jackpot there flash forward to last night um where I had I had the chiefs to win at minus 115 four and a half units cash it out made a unit um, when they had they had looked like they were ahead wound up flipping some of that about three units on the bills to win made a unit on that by cashing out and taking the Chiefs at plus 2,000. So, a unit and a half, and I wind up turning that into 31 and a half units. It was a really, really big night for me. A really big night. And on top of that, I had another same-game parlay for that game, uh, which was the Chiefs to win, uh, over 300 passing yards for Josh Allen, um, and for the Bills to score five points first. They score that first touchdown hit that leg, Um, and then the final piece was a Travis Kelsey touchdown. So I wound up winning another 12 units on that parlay um, because it was Travis Kelsey who won the touchdown overtime. The point is, it was a really, really, really good night for me at DraftKings Sportsbook. And uh, if you guys haven't gotten in, you're missing out. You know, you can't expect to have whatever that is, 60-unit days or something, uh, 50-unit days Consistently, but when they happen, there aren't many things that feel better. And uh, I'm going to be blowing some money on some Brackenridge beers tonight. Let me tell you that. Uh, DraftKings does have a special, though. Uh, There's four teams left in the playoffs, and right now you can get 56 to 1 odds on any of those teams, similar to the last couple weeks. You bet $5, you get $280 in free bets if your team wins. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR. Get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. All you got to do is bet $5. You'll get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code DMVR for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Um, Time to talk about this Buffs basketball team, though. So, they lost to UCLA. Um... Wow. I mean, it's a roller coaster, right? Like, first of all, as Taboyle Boyle said very clearly, there are no moral wins. You either win or you lose. At the same time, you can still see things that you like. And let's just start off with that. You know, you're down 15 points at halftime against the number nine team in the country. What happens in that situation? You probably lose by double digits. And uh, what happened was Colorado came all the way back and gave themselves a chance to tie the game up. Um, It was actually very similar to the the game against USC a couple days before um, where where Keyshawn came down, had the pretty ugly shot that could have tied it up with under a minute to play. Uh, KJ had an opportunity just like that. Um, Not quite as ugly a shot. Still a tough look, though. Winds up missing. And it's kind of that free throw game the rest of the way where the bus just just can't keep up. Um, It's just not in the cards after that doesn't fall. Um, Still... To, to be in that situation against UCLA, you know, you, you could make the case that if there were moral victories, that would be one of them. Because, again, it's the number nine team in the country. You've, you've struggled uh, at various points, including uh, against USC for a, a solid stretch there. And just the fact that you are giving yourself to be in that game, that's huge. And when you factor in the way it started, you know, UCLA going up 12-2 to two off the jump, 43-28 at halftime. You know, Colorado didn't have a chance. Colorado just didn't have a chance. But they were somehow able to, to climb all the way back. Um, I think that, first of all, we do need to have a really big K.J. Simpson conversation, and we'll get there. Uh, but just in terms of the way the game went, as Tad noted, you know, that they did a lot of really good things to climb back, you know, getting to the rim, whether it was K.J., whether it was Evan in the post, um, Jabari was was getting to the free throw line there late on a couple of key possessions. But the reason they couldn't get over the hump is because UCLA has some of the very best players in the country. You know, uh, you saw Johnny Juzang hit a huge shot. You saw Tiger Campbell hit a, a three-pointer in the last minute that changed it from a one-point lead to a four-point lead. And it was a deep one, too. That was, that was tough. Um, he misses that, and all of a sudden, I think the Buffs probably win that game. But obviously he didn't and when it just when push came to shove even though colorado was still pretty efficient offensively in those final minutes it just gets to the point where you're going up against some of the best scorers in the nation one of the best scoring teams in the nation and it it you needed to be in better position late if it comes down to to a shooting contest in the final seconds first of all i mean that's probably a pretty good result given what people expected coming into the game. But also, the odds of you winning just a, a shootout there at the end, they're slim. And as Tad said, just kind of props to those guys. They're really good players. They're great players, and they made great shots at the end, and they won them their team the game. Uh, meanwhile, KJ needed to make that tough layup. He didn't do it. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of what happened. Um, the turnovers were an issue again, you know, 21 turnovers in the game, 14 of those in the first half. It can't happen. Again, as Tad said after the game, you cut those turnovers in half, you turn it from 21 to 10, Colorado wins that game going away. That's how he said it. Um, in terms of the details, you know, Tristan had six turnovers. He led the way there. Nick and Keyshawn each had three turnovers. Lawson and Evie, or Evan Patty pushed those together. Uh, they turned the ball over twice. Um you know, Keyshawn, those three turnovers came in only 15 minutes. Uh, he he played his first stretch of the second half, came out with like 15 minutes left in the game, didn't see the court again. Um, and I think there's something that we can read into that for sure. Um, I, I noted on Twitter the USC game, KJ subbed in for Keyshawn with, Er, sorry, KJ was in the game with three and a half minutes ago, three minutes ago, maybe even under three minutes, and then Keyshawn subbed in. It was the last sub of the game, and it, Keyshawn had been struggling. He throws up a p- pretty ugly shot. Um, Tad called it absolutely awful um, in, in the final minute, and that kind of put things out of reach, that miss. This time around, Keyshawn doesn't get subbed back in, and KJ's allowed to kind of turn this into his show. Um, Wasn't able to pull it out, but he did a lot of really good things. Um, You know, he's 25 minutes, third most of the season for him. Um, He was 10 points, 3 of 8 shooting, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 turnover. Um, And he played really, really, really good defense on Tiger Campbell. And actually, uh, Tad compared that to Neek Clifford's game against Arizona State, where he thinks Neek really proved, like, okay, he belongs here. Look at this defense he's playing. He is a contributor. And this is, you know, this is, in his mind, that game for KJ, uh, where he makes that statement. I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see KJ in the starting lineup tomorrow night. Uh, it's a tough road stretch, obviously, like going at Oregon, at Washington, at Washington State. And they're not necessarily the toughest teams in the conference. Oregon's probably right up there. But... Honestly, sometimes that's even scarier, right? Like, it's one thing to be like, okay, here comes the L.A. road trip. You're playing two ranked teams, potentially two top ten teams, whatever. And, uh, you know, if you lose them both, it sucks. But you're not too surprised, right? Like, when you're going through and saying which games are wins, which ones are losses, you probably expect those to be losses. These road games against these three teams... These these are these can be kind of season defining. You know, you, you get to the end of the year and they could be the difference between being eight and twelve and eleven and nine or whatever three game difference you want to choose. Um, do you try to give that jolt of energy right here to KJ and, and also, you know, kind of manage the locker room by doing it on the road, like when everybody's stuck together for seven days in a row. Just like, yeah, sorry, Keyshawn, you're on the bench. There's no running from it. There's no hiding from it. There's no pouting. There's no like dark nights alone. You're right here. You're locked into basketball regardless. Um, I think there's some merit there. I think the fact that KJ closed that game, I do think that that probably means um, that it's time. I mentioned the three turnovers for Keyshawn. You know, we've been really harsh on his shooting because he has struggled. I think two games where he shot 50% from the field after starting with three in a row. Um, to to open the season, Um again, there's still some good games in there, and 50%. That's that's a really good number for a guard, especially a volume scoring guard. Um, but you still expect to have more than two to kind of outweigh the. It's like if 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 you're going 40, 40 or 40, 30, 50, 40, 60, 20, you know, then all of that kind of balances out to that low 40s that is solid. When you're not ever getting over that 50% hump you have those down games where you're shooting 25% from the field with nothing really to balance those out. And, and Keyshawn just never really had a, a stretch where he scored well in his defense though. Last night, um, Oh, I can't find the points, but, but two of two from the field didn't force his shot. And that's kind of the big, big takeaway there. I think, um, Interesting to see how this plays out and how Julian Hammond factors in too. You know, maybe maybe just to keep Keyshawn's morale a little higher, you cut Julian out of the rotation. Not because Keyshawn wants to see Julian on the bench, but because you want to say, okay, you're you're used to playing 20, 25 minutes a night or twenty five probably. You're going to the bench, but we're still putting you out there for twenty minutes. Like we're get we're gonna give you the opportunity still to play through this, just in this new role and a role that probably fits him better. You know, as much as KJ can be that offensive force off the bench because he goes downhill and he's always driving. and I think that, you know, Keyshawn just throwing up a lot of shots makes more sense. When you're playing with, you know, Nick Clifford and Luke O'Brien and Lawson Lovering, um, not that those guys are bad players. You know, Nick has turned into one of the best players on this team. But you're more all right with Keyshawn taking a shot where it's like, ah, maybe maybe just pass the ball to to Lawson and Luke... That makes more sense for Keyshawn to be stealing some of those shots rather than when you have Evan Batty and Jabari Walker and some of those guys out on the court. Um, I'll also say that uh, Jabari Walker had a really good game. You know, He starts out with 10 points in 8 minutes, just a super hot start, and falls off. You know, we, We've seen this, that he's a pretty streaky player, but what you need is for him to show up in the big moments, and he did that again. Um, late in the game, like I said, he, he was kind of a force, you know, he was getting fouled a lot. There, there was no way that that, uh, Bruin defense could stay in front of him without fouling. And he made the free throws and it was just good stuff. Um, seven boards as well. A couple of blocks. You love what you saw there. Um, Evan Batty, you know, classic Evan Batty line. 15 points, 5 of 6 shooting, uh 3 of 4 free throws, a few rebounds, four fouls and that meant he was in foul trouble for a lot of that second half. He probably do, do we have minutes right here. Yeah, he played 22 minutes. There's probably eight more minutes out there for him when he he's not in foul trouble. And again, when when that means that you're bringing in a younger player who's less experienced you just don't like that trade-off and it's a trade-off that you can't quite handle when you're playing the number nine team in the country. Uh, You know, Lawson Lovering, I think he played pretty solid basketball Tad said the same thing he was impressed with Lawson impressed with Luke um with Lawson though you know there's still just those moments the one where the shot clock as far as he's got the ball in the post he's trying to get past Every, everybody in the arena going like, shoot 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 and he passes the ball and the horn goes off all the balls near it's like yeah you just kind of gotta throw something up there just the little awareness thing where you know he's so focused on so many different things that he's learning and he is clearly taking steps forward I think but you know It's like okay, there's there's a little mental mistake, gotta gotta clean those up. Um, Yeah, I I think that individually there's a lot of things that you that you like. You know Jabari only one turnover after he really struggled with turnovers. Six of thirteen from the field, six of seven from the free throw line. So much exciting stuff there. Luke O'Brien he's getting extended minutes because we aren't seeing Eli Parquet. No update there still. Um, he was out of the boot, though, on the bench, which is notable. You know, Luke doesn't score, gets a loud offensive rebound. Um, Tristan Silva had four offensive rebounds. I think that's notable. Um, Neek was really solid. You know, three rebounds, five assists, a couple blocks, three turnovers, Two. He doesn't score all that much. He's one of two from the field. It's a three-pointer. Um he what is this a seven-game block streak now? I think it's seven-game block streak, and his block came two and a half minutes into the game, his first of the three blocks. He's a really good defender, and he's tough to keep out of the starting lineup when Eli comes back. You know, I almost wonder if they, they play Tristan off the bench a little bit. Oh, and also on Lawson. Lawson had a great pass in the post, just a high-low pass to Jabari, just an easy dunk down there, passing the free-throw line, just... Again, you see the flashes, and I forgot to bring that up a second ago um yeah i I think those are most of my notes um again you 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 battle back and play such a such a good game in that second half I mean the final score is seventy one sixty five so you wind up losing by six, so you only beat them by nine in the second half, but still beating some the the number nine team in the country by nine in a half a basketball—that's impressive. Um, not nearly as impressive as you know, if if you pull off the win, or if you're you're not down by 15 in the first place, and so that nine-point second-half win turns out to be enough to win you the game. But again, you're you're giving and taking, giving and taking. And I think honestly, the other big takeaway is that UCLA is a team that's going to make shots, and that 12-2 run to start. I think that that potentially was just these guys not recognizing. Oh, wow. We really gotta get up in their faces. otherwise they're gonna knock them down. And they they finished six to fourteen from three, but I think they started probably, was it three of five? I think they started three of five. Yeah. there's there's little pieces that you like, but but they realize that they have to get out there and close out on those shots and make everything difficult because, you know, in the NDA, if you give up an open shot, it's a huge relief when that doesn't go in. It's rare that that doesn't go in. Um in college basketball for the most part, it's like, uh, open shot, probably 50-50. Like you're this is not like the 80-20 that it is in the NBA. But when you're playing a team like UCLA that, you know, it's a top 10 team and it's mostly a top 10 team because of its offense, the, that math kind of changes. And it's it's one of those moments where, you know, they've seen UCLA before, but when you play a team like this, you realize, like, oh, this is what really high-level college basketball is. This is These are guys who, you know, Johnny is going to be an NBA player. Uh, you know, Tiger Campbell's going to get a shot at the next level. They've got other guys, too. Cody Riley probably gets an opportunity. Who knows? Um, Jaime Hawkes, who knows? Maybe uh, he's a summer league guy at the very least. And so when you get these guys who are kind of close to making that jump and you get to see them up close and personal – it's good to know. It's good to know that when you play CSU Bakersfield, sure, you can you can give up a couple open shots. You give those up against UCLA, it's not going to work. And the defense really clicked in from that point on. Um, and, again, the other big question when you play an offensive team like this is like, yeah, they're they're going to score. Can you score with them? And Colorado winds up shooting 50% from the field. And that's not something I thought they had in them. You know, the offense struggles enough that when you play an offensive team, that you just know is going to put up points. I didn't think they'd be able to hang with them, and they did, and and that is, that is very exciting to see. Um, there we go. I think that's it for notes on this game. Oregon tomorrow night. Um, Oregon's Oregon's a good team, and they're they're fairly hot right now. Um, obviously, last weekend they they go in and and sweep the uh, Southern California teams. Um, at the time UCLA is number three the time USC is number five those are two really really big wins Um, since then they played Washington beat them by 28 points you know that's what Oregon should do at home against Washington how can Colorado compete we'll see you know it's it's going to be an uphill battle for sure but if you play the game and it's college basketball anything can happen And that would be a huge, huge step in the right direction if they can make something happen there. Uh, That's going to do it for today. And I will see you guys tomorrow, probably after the game.